Well, if you're wondering uh, what happened to Pastor Ryan, did all of a sudden he get old? <laughs> no, I'm his dad, and I'm Pastor Randy. I'm normally preaching in chapel, but I'm here tonight to speak with you guys. So we're going to have a good time tonight. And uh, I'd like you to take out your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, uh, or your device or whatever you, you have. But while you're turning there or going there, one time there was this man who had a wife who had to travel a lot because of her business. And so one time when she was out traveling, she called home and they were talking a little bit. And she said, by the way, how's my cat? And the husband said, your cat died. He's dead. And she's like, oh, honey, you just can't spring news on me like that. You kind of got to ease me into it. Like when I call from London, you can say the cat is on the roof. And then when I call from Paris, you can say the cat fell off the roof. And then when I call from Berlin, you can say the cat, I took the cat to the vet. And then when I call from Rome, then you can say the cat died. And that way I can kind of ease into that bad news. Okay. And the husband's like, well, I don't really understand her logic, but okay, honey, that's fine. And then she goes, by the way, how's my mom? And he said, uh, your mom is on the roof. Well, I got some, this is a tough sermon this, more, this, this evening, and so we're going to kind of just look at what the cross means to us today. And uh, in Isaiah 53, verse 1 to 9, it says, who has believed our message? Do you believe this? Yes. Who has believed? You do. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering like one who men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep, all of us have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor any deceit in his mouth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, as we just look at this topic this evening, Lord. Just open up our hearts to the truth and what it means to us and the good news of it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So as we look at the cross, the cross in our society has become a pretty common symbol. It's become commonplace. And you can see it everywhere. Of course, you can see it in churches. You can see it in cemeteries. If you're driving down the road, sometimes you'll see a bunch of crosses on the side of the road, usually where there was an accident and someone was killed. Uh, a lot of people have crosses as decorations in their homes. Uh, people put crosses on their body, tattoos. You know, you get a tat of, of a cross on your body. And you can go into any jewelry store and see all kinds of cross necklaces and uh, earrings. 
Crosses are worn by both men and, and women. We used to have a joke. You could tell how good of a Christian you are by the size of the cross that you wore around your neck, right? Now, on one hand, that's good. It's good that we, we see the cross displayed, and it's good that it remind, we have reminders about the cross. But on the other hand, I, I'm afraid that we might have kind of sanitized the cross, softened the cruelty and horror and the brutality of the cross. You know, if you could take somebody from the first century who didn't know anything about Jesus and, and kind of just airdrop them into the, the, the middle of a church service and he saw a church and he saw the crosses and he saw people wearing crosses, he would think, what is wrong with you people? You guys are sick. You're crazy. It would be like you walking into a room that you, you, and you didn't know anybody there and you saw everybody wearing like nooses around their neck. Or little, or little guillotines, or electric chairs, you'd be thinking, what is up with that, right? And, and that's what a person from the first century would think, if he saw us with crosses, he would thought we lost our minds, because to them, the cross was a symbol of torture, and humiliation, and death. Something to fear, and dread, and revile. Death on the cross was considered the most horrible hideous, humiliating ways to die. And when you look at the cross, you need to understand that the cross was not designed to kill you. It wasn't designed to execute you. The purpose was to scare you. It was meant to be a deterrent. And it was, it was meant to torture and punish to be a symbol of terror. And it was considered so bad that one of the benefits of being a Roman citizen is you couldn't be crucified. And that's why the Apostle Paul, who was a Roman citizen, wasn't crucified. He was beheaded, and that was considered quick and clean and merciful. Seneca, the Roman historian, said anyone facing such death would plead to die rather than to mount the cross. That's how bad it was. Crucifixion was reserved for insurgents, which were basically terrorists, vile criminals, really bad people, deserters in battle, or slaves that turned on their master. And the message was, do this, mess with us, and this is what you get. You get the cross. And that's why Romans would crucify people on hills and roadways. During the, the Spartacus Rebellion, when that was put down, they took 6,000 prisoners and crucified them along the Appian Way. And could you imagine what it was like to walk along that way for miles and seeing people on either side of you being crucified, crying and moaning and screaming in agony? That's why there weren't ever another slave rebellion again. And it was, very, it was meant to be very public, very in-your-face. And if you ever saw someone you loved or cared about or uh, crucified, you wouldn't want to wear a cross or put a cross up on a wall in your house. And yet, the message of the cross is central to the whole Bible. Everything in the Old Testament looks to the cross, and the New Testament reveals to us the cross. It's all about the cross. That's why 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Right. And 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness 
to the Gentiles. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2 says, when I came to your brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom. I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing uh, when I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The cross. Now, now to the world, the cross may look like a stumbling block. To the Jews, the cross was a stumbling block because they believed they could be saved by their self-righteousness, by their good works, by obeying the law. And even to this very day, we still kind of have that same attitude. A lot of people will, will say, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Compared to so-and-so, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. You know, compared to my next-door neighbors, I'm doing pretty good. Or the guy down the street, I'm doing pretty good. That, that is known as relative righteousness. Now, relative righteousness has nothing to do with your relatives. We know they're not righteous. They're probably crazy, right? But relative righteousness means compared to you, I'm doing good. And the problem with relative righteousness, it's like, it's like this one time, this, this small town. And there was a small town, and there were two older brothers in that town, and they were like Mr. Potter, you know, from A Wonderful Life. I mean, they were mean, they were cruel, they were miserly. They, they just tried to, they ran the whole town. They owned most of the town. They made everybody else's lives miserable, including their pastor of the church they went to. Every time the pastor tried to do something, they'd oppose him and would just criticize him. And finally, by the grace of God, one of them died, right? And so the other brother, the living brother, went to the pastor and he said, Pastor, I want you to preach my, my brother's funeral, but here's the thing, here's the deal. I want you to say that he was a saint. And if you're willing to do that, I will write you out a check to cover the mortgage right here, right now, but you gotta say that he was a saint. And so the pastor thought about it for a moment and said, okay, I'll do it, write out the check. And so he wrote out the check and as the old guy was walking out, he thought, <laughs> I knew I could buy him just like I bought everyone else. And so word about that got out. And so the day of the funeral, the whole town showed up to see if the pastor was really going to say this guy was a saint. And so the pastor gets up and he starts preaching and he says, I want you to know that the man lying here before you was mean, he was cruel, he was miserly, he was a low down, good for nothing. This man was so low, he could walk under a rattlesnake with a hi-hat on. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. <laughs> so what if you're compared to someone else? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. It's foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Greek intellectuals. The idea of a man dying on a cross to, to save us was just a silly idea. You talk to a lot of people today, they have that same attitude. I talk to atheists all the time. They, make, they think, oh, you Christians are just so dumb. You're so stupid. You're so foolish. It's foolishness to them. To some, it's hideous. It was ugly. It was bloody. It was violent. Or to some, it might be, you know, a lot of people today, yeah, it's a nice decoration. Who cares, right? Whatever. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the wisdom of God. And it is a symbol of triumph and victory. That's why Paul says, all I know when I'm with you is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now that now we are just... Two weeks from Easter, that gives you two weeks to get out and invite people. We're two weeks from Easter. I believe that this is a good time for us to remember the cross, 
to look to the cross, to celebrate the cross, and maybe get a fresh appreciation for what our Lord suffered and endured on the cross and what it means to us. So let's start by looking at the crucifixion of the Lord. The crucifixion or the passion that we know of started in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying. And as Jesus was praying, he was under such stress and pressure and anguish that the Bible says he prayed drops of blood. And what they tell us is that because of the pressure Jesus was under, the the capillaries in his forehead literally burst open and mixed with sweat. And so it looked like he was actually sweating sweating blood. And then we know that the guards and the priests came to arrest Jesus. Jesus was betrayed by someone he loved. He was deserted by his disciples. The guards arrested him and they beat him. And we see that in Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. So the guards beat Jesus. They grabbed fists full of his beard and, would, and just yanked it out and spit on him. And then they took him down to the Sanhedrin for a trial or a mockery of a trial. He was guilty before he ever showed up in their minds. But because they could not put him to death, they had to take him to the Roman procurator, Pontius Pilate. And they took him before Pilate and presented his case. And three times, Pilate said, this guy is innocent. Imagine being on trial and three times a judge saying, you're innocent, you're innocent, you're innocent. But because Pilate was a politician, he thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'll send Jesus out to the crowd and they can decide what they want to do with him. So Pilate brought Jesus out and said, this, what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? What would you have me do with him? And the crowd, I think even to Pilate's surprise, cried, crucify him, put him to death. And Pilate said, hey, but he's your king. We have no king but Caesar. Now, this was the same crowd that just a week earlier was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Now they're screaming for his blood. How do you think the Lord felt when, when, when he stood before them like that? And so Pilate turned Jesus over to the Roman soldiers where they had him flogged. Now, we, we know Jesus was whipped, and a lot of times when we think of whipping, you know, this was nothing like the whooping your daddy gave or gave you. You know, there are a few times I had to give my boys a whooping, and uh, I, was, I, I called my belt Mr. Belteshazzar. I was from the Bible. Daniel was named Belteshazzar. Don't make me bring out Mr. Belteshazzar, boys. Don't you? Not? No, Dad, no. One time I gave Ryan a whooping. He's like, that didn't hurt. I had to teach him you don't say that. It hurts whether you want to, you always say it hurts, right? But so, so the whipping that Jesus got was, 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 the Bible says, was a scourging. And what that was is the whip the Romans used was, was a, a whip, but it had a number of thongs coming out of it. And in these thongs were like, were little metal hooks. Think of like a thong with a bunch of fish hooks in it. So that normally when you would whip somebody, you know, the whip would hit you and fall off. But when they whipped Jesus, the whip would hit and stick to you. And all those little fish hooks would go into your, into your flesh. And then when they would rip that, pull the whip out, it would rip out all kinds of skin and muscle and sinew. And literally Jesus' total upper torso was, was ripped to shreds. Ribbons of skin probably hung off him. 
Josephus, another historian, said he was whipped until his bones showed. So when they scorched him, they literally, literally disskinned you. It's amazing. Most people didn't even survive that. But Jesus, after that, they took him. They jammed the crown of thorns on his head. They put a staff in his hand and mockingly worshipped him. Hail, King of the Jews. And then the Bible says they took that staff, big stick, and beat him on the head with it over and over again. Big welts and, and bruises would form on his head. And then he was forced to carry his cross. He, Jesus was an amazingly strong guy. He had to carry his cross up to the hill where they laid him down and drove nails through his hands and through his feet. And here's the thing about the cross. What killed you when you were on the cross was asphyxiation. Because as you hung on the cross, you, you had to literally push yourself up on the nails in your feet and the nails in your hands to breathe. So you would, you would hang there and you push yourself up and you bring in a breath and then you drop back down until you had to push yourself up again. And that's why it literally would take days to die because you would hang there until you couldn't have the strength to push yourself up anymore. And during that time, insects would land on you. Birds would come and start eating on you. There's nothing you could do about it. It was a horrible, horrible way to die. But because of the Passover, the Romans didn't want to leave people up on the cross. They couldn't leave people up on the cross. So they came and they, they broke the legs of the thieves because when your legs were broken, you couldn't push yourself up anymore. And when they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. And this was to fulfill the prophecy that said, not one of his bones will be broken. And they will look upon the one whom they pierced. And because they saw that Jesus was dead, just to make sure, they took a spear, jammed it up into his chest, into his heart, and the Bible says blood and water flowed out. Now, the worst part of the crucifixion of the Lord, we can kind of understand the physical suffering. We can kind of relate to that and kind of understand that. But there's an aspect to the suffering that Jesus went through that we can never understand. And that is the spiritual suffering that he went through. The Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin. He took unto himself the sin of the world. Isaiah 53, 6 says, I, uh, says, all we like sheep have gone astray, each turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the sin of us all. Now think about that. Every ugly, cruel, vile, disgusting, perverse, evil, grotesque sin ever committed in the history of the world or ever will be committed was placed on Jesus the Bible said he became a curse. Cursed is the man who is hung on a tree. He who knew no sin became sin, and that's when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When Jesus became sin, he became the propitiation. That's a theological term, the propitiation of God. He took the wrath of God unto himself so that the wrath of God would be turned away from us. The wrath that we deserved, Jesus took unto himself. And what I want you to know this evening, here's the main thing. Only God can take an ugly, blood-stained, rugged cross and turn it into a plus sign. Because in math, what does a cross mean? I know I, know I said a four-letter word, math, right? 
And you're like, I didn't know there'd be math here. I, don't, I wouldn't have came tonight. I, I was told there'd be no math. No, in math, in math, what's a plus sign? It's a little cross, right? And when you see plus, that means addition. The cross adds good things to our lives. Like, for instance, the cross adds one to heaven. The penalty for my sin is paid in full. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not by work so that no one can boast. The Bible calls salvation the gift of God, the free gift of God. Now, the reason why it's free doesn't mean it didn't cost anything. It means it didn't cost us anything because Jesus paid the price. It cost Jesus a lot, but because Jesus paid the price, to us it's free. Now, Jesus paid for the sin that I was guilty of. He paid the penalty that I deserved. And that's why we, we can never earn our way into heaven or ever become worthy enough or ever do anything to earn God's favor. You know, like going to a confessional or doing penance, saying six Our Fathers, 20 Hail Marys, run around the block five times and you'll be forgiven. That's why we don't have to offer up sacrifices like they did in the Old Testament where they had to bring in bulls and goats and offer them up to God. Aren't you glad you don't have to bring your bulls and goats to church with you? I mean, getting the kids here is hard enough, right? (laughs) None of that's required. None of that's necessary. No one can boast that I save myself or that I'm good enough. We all need the cross. The cross is the only way any of us can be saved. And when someone comes to the cross, when someone comes to the cross and says, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I place my faith in your grace made possible by the cross. You know what that does? That adds one person to heaven and subtracts one person from hell. First John 5, 12 says, he who has a son has life. He who doesn't have the son does not have life. We were all headed to hell. We were all on the highway to hell. We were on the highway to hell, right? We were on the highway to hell, but because of the cross, we were able to exit off that highway and enter on the highway to heaven. All are welcomed at the cross. And there is always room at the cross. There's always room at the cross for you. There's an old song we used to sing, there's room at the cross for you. Though many have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for you. No matter who you are or what you've done, there's room at the cross for you. Also, the cross adds hope to our lives. And we see in 2 Thessalonians 2, it says, May our God... May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Now, when Jesus hung on the cross, I mean, that was a picture of hopelessness. The disciples thought, it's over. We lost. This is hopeless. But we know the cross is not the end of the story. With God, out of death comes life. Out of hopelessness comes hope, and out of defeat comes victory. And the cross means there is always hope. The cross means there is always hope 
for the people you love who are away from God. If you don't believe me, look at the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross, he was a bad dude. I mean, this wasn't a guy who stowed a loaf of bread. They didn't crucify people for that. He had done a lot of bad, evil things. He was a, not only a thief, but he was probably like a highwayman who murdered and robbed and raped people. And that's why he was getting the cross. And he said, hey, we deserve what we're getting. So that, that, when you're up on the cross and you're saying, I'm, we deserve what we get, and that means you were a bad guy, right? So he represents a lifetime of bad choices, bad decisions, the wrong crowd, wrong actions, wrong desires, all wiped away by one good choice when he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into the kingdom. A lifetime of bad choices wiped away by one good choice. So no matter how far somebody is from God, all it takes is one good choice to bring them back to God. Also, we have hope that no matter how bad life can get, we, we have hope. And we see that in Hebrews 6.19. It says, we have this hope as an anchor. This hope is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. So no matter, no matter how big the storm is, no matter how bad life can get, we have an anchor. You know, it always looks bad on Friday. But remember, wherever there's a Friday, Sunday's coming. If you're going through a Friday in your life, if you're at a Friday right now, Remember, Sunday's coming. If you're a believer, Sunday is always coming. And we have hope, even in death, we have hope. The Bible says we don't mourn like those who have no hope. One time when I was a youth pastor, I remember a, a teenager asking me, Pastor Randy, is it wrong to mourn as a Christian, to, to mourn somebody who dies? I said, well, well no, I, I hope when I die, people mourn me. I mean, I would like there to be a national day of mourning when I die, as, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, oh my gosh, if you die and nobody mourns you, that's not a good thing, right? You want people to be sad that you die. But even though we mourn, we, don't we do not mourn without hope because we know that the grave is not the end of the story. For those who believe we go from life to life, when we close our eyes here on earth, we're going to open them up in heaven. And we're going to see those whom we loved who died in the Lord. What a great family reunion that's going to be. Our life, our relationships don't end at the grave. We have that hope. And also, the cross, the plus sign of the cross, adds value to you. People may say you're worthless, you're nothing, you're nobody. Sometimes we tell ourselves that too. Who, you know, who hasn't? Jesus says, you're valuable. You're worth me going to the cross. You are worth the price that I paid for you. What makes something valuable? The price somebody's willing to pay for it, right? I mean, this profound truth literally has changed our entire civilization and culture. And what I mean by that, that the idea of if Jesus died for that person, then that means that person has value. So how can I hate a group of people that Christ shed his blood for? You know, how can I hate someone who's black if Jesus died for them? The early, the early abolitionists were, 
abolitionists were, were Christian clergy, mostly Christians, and their idea is if Jesus died for the black man, how can we make him into a slave? And when Union soldiers went into battle, they would sing the battle hymn of the Republic, and one of the lines is, as he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. So how can I hate someone because they're black or Latino or Asian or white? How can I hate them if Jesus died for them? How can I hate Germans or Italians <laughs> or Chinese or people from the Middle East? If Jesus died for them, they are valuable to God. And how can I hate individuals, people in my life? How can I hate them if Jesus died for them? No matter how obnoxious or abrasive or ornery or unlikable or strange they are. Yeah, people are kind of strange, aren't they? Remember one comedian said, every night I went out with a strange woman. She was the same woman, she was just strange. <laughs> but I, I remember reading an article by a guy, he, he went to a, this author went to a chicken factory and, and at the factory what they would do is they would put these baby chicks on the conveyor belts, these, these newborn chicks, and as they would go down the conveyor belt, people would pluck the chicks off and put them in the boxes, and then they would fill up these boxes and ship them off to chicken farmers where they would be raised. But he said, as the chicks went down the conveyor belt, some chicks, because they were lame or, or defective or didn't measure up, they were allowed to continue down along the belt until they fell off and died because they, they didn't measure up, they didn't fit in a box, they, they didn't meet the cut. And, and they were because of that, they were just thrown away and discarded. And the author said, isn't that just like the world? You know, Jesus died for people who are different from me, who I may not be comfortable with, who I may be tempted to write off or discard or not care about or say they don't measure up. And I need to remember that Jesus died for them. Jesus died for addicts and bikers and drug dealers and the sexually immoral. He died for religious people and religious fanatics. He died for gangbangers and convicts. He died for, for yuppies. He died for people with tattoos. He died for people with piercings. He died for people with long hair and short hair and no hair. Hallelujah. <laughs> he, died for, he died for rappers and rockers and headbangers and country music singers. He even died for Seattle Seahawks fans. But not for Steeler fans. All right, he died for them too, right? He died for sinners. He died for me. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am the worst. We should all have that same attitude. I am the worst. No matter how big of a sinner you are, Jesus went to the cross for you. And that makes you valuable to him. And Jesus and the cross, the cross, the plus sign of the cross adds access to God. Ephesians 2 verse 18 uh, says, through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So because of the cross, the separation of man and God, which were separated by sin, man and God were brought together. That separation was closed. And because of the cross, I can now come directly into the presence of God. God hears my prayers directly. 
You know, one time a man went into a church in California and out in the church foyer, there was a payphone. How many remember what payphones were, right? Back in the day. And there was a payphone in a church foyer and it said, talk to God, $10,000. So later on, he was out in New Mexico. He went into a church and in the foyer, they had that same payphone. It said, talk to God, $10,000. So finally, he goes into Texas and he's at a church in Texas and there's a payphone and it said, talk to God, 10 cents. And so the guy says to the pastor, how come in Texas is only 10 cents? And the pastor says, well, son, that's because from Texas is a local call. God bless Texas, right? But the point is, is we don't need a pastor or a minister or a priest or a guru or Jesus' dead relatives or a mediator to get our prayers through to God. The Bible says we can go boldly into the throne room of God with our prayers, and that's possible because of the cross. No matter where you are, it's always a local call. Uh, when I went to Israel, I've been to Israel twice, and uh, I just, it, it is a life-changing experience. I'd like to take a church group there sometime. I'm actually working on that. But uh, some, some, I remember somebody asked me, well, did you feel closer to God when you were in Jerusalem? And my answer was, you know what? I feel just as close to God right here in Mesa, Arizona, as Jerusalem, Israel. It doesn't matter where you are because that cross has brought you into the presence of God. Any place, any time. And here's the final thing. The cross adds the Holy Spirit to us. Matthew 27, verse 50 to 51 says, And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And then look what happened. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. Now, to understand this, prior to the cross, the Spirit of God lived in the temple in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a small room that was separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain. And, and uh, Josephus says that curtain was about a foot thick of heavy material. And no one could go into the Holy of Holies because God was there and he was too holy to, to come before him. And so once a year, the high priest was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies with the blood of, of bulls and, and goats, and he would sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, the blood of the lamb on the mercy seat. But he could only come in once a year. That was all the access he had. But when Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that that curtain was ripped. Now, notice if, if, if man had ripped the curtain, how would man rip it? We would rip it from bottom to top because the curtain was very high. But the hand of God ripped the curtain from top to bottom. And that signified that this was done by God, not by man. And that, because of that, that means that the Spirit of God no longer dwells in a temple of wood and stone, but now dwells in temples of flesh and blood, in me and you. The Holy Spirit now dwells in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, a great price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So because of the cross, the Holy Spirit now can dwell in us. The cross made it possible for us to go from 
made it possible for the Holy Spirit to go from the temple into us. So where you go, the Holy Spirit goes because the Holy Spirit is in you. So just as we close, when you see a cross, maybe the next time you see a cross, think of it as a plus sign. How much it adds to our life. Your life. The power of the cross. To some it's foolishness. To some it's a stumbling block. To others it's "Eh, it's just a nice decoration. But to us, it is life. It is salvation. It is the power of God to save us. I'm just going to invite you to just bow your heads with me right now. And I want you to know that there's room at the cross for you. Tonight, we can add one more to the cross. We can make an addition of you. And if you're here this evening, and if you've never received Christ as your Savior, or maybe you got away from that at some time in your life, and you're thinking, I need to get back to God. I want you to know there is always room at the cross for you. You are always welcomed at the cross. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come to the cross and find forgiveness and find freedom from sin and salvation and eternal life. All that is waiting for you at the cross, but you just have to say, Jesus, I come to you. And in just a moment, I'm, I'm going to pray with you. And, and if you're here tonight, and if you're like, if you're, if you're in that position where you say, Jesus, I, I, want, I want my sins forgiven. I want to know you. I want eternal life. I want to come to the cross tonight. If that's your desire, then I'm going to pray with you right now. And I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And you can put your own words to it or you can just use the words I'm using. doesn't matter. What matters is in your heart. But let's pray. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. No excuses. I've sinned against you. But now I ask for your forgiveness, God. I ask that you would wash away my sins by the cross. And from this day forward, I want to live for you according to your word. Help me to do that, God, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.